my Pachos Chachos, it has been a while since we've done an episode, and so for today, what I have in store for you is to talk about a movie that I've shared with my classes today in response, or in supplement, I should say, to Jordan Peterson's Rule Number 4. If you don't remember what that is, check out my podcast from earlier this year. Otherwise, as a reminder, Rule Number 4 is compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who someone is today. And really, it is an excellent rule about, you know, uh, staying away from social media, essentially. I believe most of us are dissatisfied with the quality of our life because we compare the quality of our life to those we see on social media. But what we need to remember is, you know, one, it is a filtered highlight reel of someone's life. All right. I remember reading a Time Magazine article, maybe circa 2002 around there, that pretty much stated that most people, uh, specifically females, but uh, it, it did include men as well, but mostly females, uh, they take 300 pictures of themselves, like selfies, before they post one picture online. And I find that to uh, be very true because, one, we've got lots of trolls and haters out there who are always going to hate. And regardless of how you look, they'll find something to talk about and criticize and pick apart and try to make you feel inferior. But, um, you know, so that's kind of rule number four. And we've been talking about that at the early precepts of this week. And so today I thought that maybe a good supplement would be to show them the Social Dilemma, which is where this podcast gets its title from. If you've never seen it, man, I strongly recommend that you check it out. It is an amazing documentary slash story because it has a little bit of both. Uh, they interview a bunch of people who used to be in social media platforms, uh, people who you know were ex-presidents or vice presidents of engineers and designs, etc., etc., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Snapchat, uh, Google, and all those different things. And uh, you can find it on Netflix. It is a Netflix original, and that's actually where I originally saw it a couple of years ago. It was produced in 2020. Uh, but, you know, being in cl the classroom, we're not allowed to watch uh, Netflix, or we don't have access to Netflix, I should say. It's not that we can't watch it, but we don't have access to it because of the firewall. And so online, I was lucky enough to find it on Vimeo, which for some reason is not blocked by the firewall. And so I took that opportunity then to share with my students that video because I really think, you know, the, the largest problem that we have in our society, and I think Jonathan Haidt would back this up as well. Again, check out one of my past podcasts with Jonathan Haidt or about Jonathan Haidt and, um, you know, inform yourself a little bit more about there. But uh, as he had been pointing out that uh, our society has been in a kind of a decline ever since the introduction of. Uh, not necessarily cell phones, because cell phones are fine, and not really smartphones as well, but really social media being available on the mobile phone, uh, which happened around circa 2009. And, uh, and that's really where things started to hit the fan. Uh, as soon as, you know, social media got on the phone, uh, the numbers that Jonathan Haidt talks about in regards to uh, women cutting themselves and being hospitalized, as well as uh, suicide rates, have gone up 
tremendously. Uh, I think it's about an average of like 70% for girls over the age of 14 in regards to both hospitalization and suicide. And when you look at the tweens, 10 to 14, which was almost non-existent in them trying to hurt themselves, uh, it's gone up three times, like 189% since 2009. And he, as well as I, contend that the reason that this is happening is because of social media. Because, unfortunately, our society is indeed prone to break rule number four. And many teens and tweens are going to make themselves miserable and literally steal the joy out of their own mouths. Because instead of taking stock of what they have and appreciating their life as you know, I was taught when I was a kid, you know, love yourself, find the good things in life and you'll be happy, you know? And so these kids are not doing that. These kids are looking at other people, at celebrities, at um, influencers and things like that. And people like that, uh, that make them feel inept, you know, it makes them feel inadequate. It makes them feel inferior because, you know, they don't have as beautiful of a face or beautiful as a body. Uh, they're not going on as extravagant vacations. They don't have luxury cars or homes or anything like that. And so think about what that does to the psyche of a child when you show them other people who are living lives that are considered far beyond, far better than the ones that we actually have. You know, and mind you that these people are the outliers, you know, there's not a million actors in our country. There's maybe hundreds, if not thousands, you know, in a country of 320 million, that's not really a lot. So those people are outliers. Their lives may be glamorous, but, you know, another thing that Jordan Peterson warns us of in his book and in regards to rule four is, you know, that it's not real. You know, it's, it's not a possibility to become someone else. And, and there's where I think the flaws with our youth is they want to be successful people. They want to be the next Mark Zuckerberg. They want to be uh, the next Elon Musk or the next LeBron James or, you know, whatever famous person, you know, you can insert there. And, you know, the problem with that is obviously it's impossible to be somebody else. You are you. They are already taken. Uh, and so, you know, we kind of start aiming at something that is completely unachievable. You know, instead of saying, I want to be this person, we should be saying to ourselves, I want to reach that level. You know, I mean, I'll never be LeBron James because, you know, his mother didn't birth me. And so I can never be him. Uh, but I could get to that level if, of course, I were to, you know, put in the time and effort. And if I had, uh, you know, in a, a, uh, comparative amount of skill and talent, then, you know, obviously maybe I could reach that point. So, but that's not what these kids are doing. These kids instead are idolizing uh, these people and wanting to be them and, and to aspire uh, to be them. And instead they should be thinking about, you know, reaching their level, as I've said before. So anyway, uh, so this movie, The Social Dilemma, kind of picks apart and asks all these people who have come from those major platforms uh, two questions. What is the problem and how can we fix it? And so, you know, it, it's so difficult to describe what is revealed in this video. I mean, through a metaphor of three men 
uh, you know, that are hiding behind your screen at any given point while you're scrolling through, let's say, Facebook, uh, they're determining, you know, how to keep you addicted, right? Because that's that's the product. That's essentially the main idea of the social dilemma is that if you get something for free, it's because you are the product, right? If, if the product is free to you, it's because you are the product. Advertisers pay for the software companies to be, uh, to exist. It isn't us, right? We get Facebook for free. We get Snapchat for free. We get Twitter for free. It's the fact it's the advertisers, the people who want to promote their products to us, right? They are the actual clients. They are the ones who are actually paying money. And what are they buying? They're buying our data. They're buying all of our information. They're buying how long do we stare at redheads and blondes and brunettes? How long will we watch a video of epic fails in comparison to uh, German shepherd puppies? You know what I mean? The algorithm does all of that measurement. And again, it's not to curate a wonderful experience for us. I really wish that it were that. It is instead to distract us. You know, as I was trying to impart to my students today, there really is a choice when it comes to social media. You are either going to give your time and focus to the device and to the social media app that you are using, or you're going to live your life and you're going to read a book and you're going to do some exercise and you're going to go outside and breathe fresh air and you're going to make connections with actual people and build relationships and, you know, do those sorts of things. And what social media wants you to do is to sacrifice that. They can't sell that. They can't sell you improving your life. When you are at your worst, at your most depressed, at your saddest is where they make the most money. Because when you leave or when your family leaves you for whatever reason, right? For you know divorce or things of that nature, where are you going to go? Who are you going to turn to? You know, in this society that we have today, I mean, are there any more friends out there? I mean, I'm lucky, you know, we come from a generation, if you're my age, pachos, chachos, if you're in your 40s, you know, we were kind of raised to build those kinds of relationships. And so you probably have a friend to turn to, hopefully, when bad things are happening. But what about these younger generations? Who are they going to turn to when their concept of relationship and communication involve screens? You know, there's no vulnerability when you're hiding on the other side of a phone or a laptop. You talk about whatever is in front of you. If you're playing Fortnite, if you're playing Call of Duty, or if you're doing some kind of Minecraft uh, or Roblox game, you know, you're just talking about that game, but you're not really being vulnerable. You're not exploring each other's interests. You're not gathering information about, you know, what are some things that we have in common that we can then, you know, exploit later to build up a relationship like in Shasta Nelson's Frentimacy podcast that I talked about earlier in the year. Again, I recommend that you check that out so that you can be up to pace with us. But it is really scary, man. It is crazy to watch this movie because it shows you the other side. You know, when you're, when you're looking at a picture, when you're looking at a, a video online, the algorithm of the software is keeping a running timer so that it can log that information. You know, so if you were a young man and you're interested in, you know, dating girls and, you know, maybe there are some TikTok influencers on your reel. And so you stop for five seconds on one video and, and then they show you maybe a redhead and you're like, yeah, redheads are okay. So you're only there for like two seconds before you scroll. 
who do you think you're going to see next? You know, I mean, these AI algorithms are so intelligent that it knows us better than we do. It can break down in a percentage how introverted versus extroverted you are. Do you know that? I mean, I know I'm extroverted, or at least I like to think that I'm extroverted and that it's very easy for me to talk to people and make friends, but I don't know to what degree or percentage I am. But they keep track of those things. You know, they sell us to shoe companies and shaving cream companies and clothing companies who want our attention, who want us to buy their product. And they will pay these software programs to consciously and subconsciously gaslight us to where we can no longer resist our urges and we break down and buy said product. I mean, it's really insane. And then one of the really strongest points I thought that were brought up is that artificial intelligence already exists. You know, we're not, we're not at some terminator breaking point or anything like that, but that's not to say that artificial intelligence hasn't already dominated our life. You think it's you who are curating your Facebook page? It's not. It's Facebook. That's why you don't get a post from all of your friends. Let's say you have 50 friends. You don't get 50 posts every day, assuming they all go online on a daily basis. I mean, I at most get five. You know, and it's like, well, where are all my other friends? Or have they unfriended me? And if they did, wouldn't I have gotten a message? And, you know, I mean, I've got so many cousins that I'm friends with, but I only see like maybe two. And I wonder why that is. And then all of a sudden, you know, a week later, when I haven't touched my phone in a while, it'll start giving me, you know, all these other people who I haven't heard from in a while. And just like that, I get back into the loop. I'm back in the, you know, downward spiral into the rabbit hole of information that has been personally curated to me, for me, to keep me staring at a screen. Because algorithms are not objective. They have bias, and their bias is towards profitability. And they get profits when they can keep me and you, like a bunch of drug junkies, addicted to the program, to the software. That's why we get things like phantom beeps. Have you ever had that moment where your phone is in your purse or in your your pocket, and you swear that it vibrated? Because, of course, you responsibly have it on silent so as not to be disrespectful or rude with anybody else who may be talking. And so you pull out your phone, you turn it on, and there's nothing there but the time and the date and whatever picture or wallpaper that you have in your lock screen. I've done that so many times. And, you know, never in the history of humanity has that ever been an issue. We have things, complications like cell phone neck where we're all staring down so much that we already start looking like we're 80 years old, hunching over. We have cell phone thumb because of all the texting and everything that it's not natural. It's not natural for our thumbs to maneuver in that way. And so it starts to stretch out. It starts to get sore. And, you know, so your thumb starts to hurt. It's almost like you've been writing over and over again, a hundred pages, the letter A or the first pages of the uh, alphabet in the encyclopedia or something. But the video is incredible and it's eye-opening and it shows, you know, this family that kind of goes through all these problems that cell phones bring about. And at the end, you know, they, they radicalize this one kid because he's kind of lonely. 
his girlfriend has moved on, his ex-girlfriend has moved on. And so he starts going down this down this uh, spiral hole of, um, what do they call it in the video? The ex- extreme centrist, which, you know, I think it's hilarious in itself that you can be extreme in the center. Uh, but I guess they didn't want to upset anybody on the left or on the right. But uh, he becomes radicalized, you know, because he starts to follow a couple of people who are predicting the end of the world and bad things to come and, you know, totalitarian this and that. And and so he goes to a protest and he gets arrested and his sister who tries to, you know, save him gets arrested too. And so it's like, it wasn't even my life that I messed up, but I messed up my sister's life too, because, you know, I started to go into these, you know, thought holes on the internet that weren't true. And it leads you there. Like they, in the social dilemma, they also had the example of Kyrie Irving, you know, a, an NBA basketball player who in 2018 literally thought the earth was flat. And he blames it on YouTube. You saw a YouTube video. It was convincing. It noticed that he spent a lot of time watching it from beginning to end. And it started to suggest all of these, you know, different rabbit hole scenarios of the earth not being round, but being flat. And so he was convinced. You know, how many of us are being convinced of this? You know, I was thinking earlier in the, you know, throughout the year, where is this whole movement coming from where boys think they can be girls and girls think they can be boys? And I'm watching this video and it started to make sense to me because before, you know, I'm thinking to myself, who is this teacher who is undermining everything that I teach my students about, you know, having self-worth and value and being confident and knowing the truth and, you know, basing your life in truth. Like, who is this person? I didn't know if it was a man or a woman who is undermining the truth, you know, who is hypnotizing my students into believing that a boy could be a girl or a girl could be a boy. And as I'm watching the video today, showing it to my students, I realized it's not, it's not a classroom because even if it were one teacher, you still have all the other teachers to offset that ideology. It's the cell phones and social media. Social media is manipulating our children into believing things that we, for decades, if not centuries or millennia, have known to not be true, which makes me then beg the question to my class, why are you the only generation who accepts this? Don't you think it's strange that We haven't taught your parents this, that a man can be a woman. Don't you think it's strange that your grandparents don't believe that a man can be a woman? Why are you the first generation to be taught to believe this nonsense? Because obviously that is what it is. There are XX and XY chromosomes, and I'm sorry, but feelings don't mean a damn thing when it comes to actual fact and biology. But anyway, that's where it has to come from. You know, it... It's kind of like, you know, if you look at the Hunter Biden laptop story prior to the election, you know, they buried the story. Social media, along with the left deep state, they buried it. The FBI buried the story, even though they had several cases open prior to the elections against Hunter Biden because of the laptop. And yet the story wasn't leaked. They were able to control what we believe and what we know. And afterwards, when the FBI finally came out and said, yes, yes, it's true. Hunter Biden did leave a laptop. It does have a lot of bad information on it, blah, 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 blah. When surveyed, 30% of Democrats who voted for Joe Biden said they would have voted for Trump if they knew that Hunter Biden was such a scumbag. 
that he was compromised, that Joe Biden is still compromised. And 30% of Democrats, that would have made a huge difference and turned the way the elections went, or at least the way they tried to make them look like they went. But that's a different issue for a different time. And so isn't that amazing that they can manipulate information? They can control what kind of information we're getting. They can pay these software programs, these, these companies, enough money to say, bury this story for a little bit. You know, Don't let it go out. Say that it's disinformation or misinformation or whatever garbage titles CNN and MSNBC and the whole leftist crew want to call things. But it's all trash. Even one of the co-founders, I forget his name, but the co-founder of virtual reality, you know, even stated that the purpose of these software programs is to change us into better consumers for their clients that they market to. And so if you can get us to want to buy shoes why not be able to get us to vote for a certain person, to believe a certain ideology? I mean, if you open up your, you know, your smartphone and you open up one of these apps like Twitter and Snapchat and Instagram, TikTok and all that, you know, it's very common to be lost in an echo chamber where everybody is saying the same thing that you believe. And doesn't that just reinforce then your your belief. And it's going to make it more difficult to be turned against that idea. You know, it's easier to fool someone than to convince them that they're being fooled. You know, there's a lot of pride. There's a lot of ego and arrogance that goes into this as well. And that we don't want to admit that we were so dumb that we got duped, that we were fooled or that we're even now still being manipulated. Nobody wants to accept that. But I think the sooner we accept that, the sooner we can start freeing ourselves from these chains. Now, what is the solution? I don't know. And there weren't really too many solutions offered because it is such a huge problem. I mean, watch the movie and I mean, you'll, you'll understand the, how overwhelmed I feel at this moment knowing, I mean, I've got two sons, I've got a daughter on the way and things are not looking good. And if we follow this path, if we look at history going along this path, it leads to civil war. Now, I don't think we'll ever get to that point because I think we are more united than they're leading us on to be. But if we get enough people to believe that we hate each other, that it would be best to eradicate the other side. I mean, it leaves me to wonder if Adolf Hitler had the internet how much easier it would have been for him to exact the Holocaust. I mean, he had propaganda where he convinced people that Jewish people ate their own children as a way of making them callous towards the Jews so they didn't care what happened to them. I mean, how else could you take a Catholic country and make them exact the most atrocious event in human history? up until this transgender movement, which I think is honestly the most horrific and atrocious thing that's ever happened in human history. Although, you know, that's not to take away what happened in the Holocaust. I mean, that is awful. I've taught it quite a few years. And I mean, my heart always bleeds for those people and, and for that event. But I mean, mutilating children, I don't think that's any better. You know, 
convincing them that they can be other things, taking the truth away from them so that they are confused and lost. I think that's an atrocity all in itself. And this is at a global level. We have 2 billion people on Facebook who are being manipulated by these algorithms who know us better than we know it. So to end this podcast, let me just remind you that this is a war. It is a war for our soul. It is a war for our mind. It is a war where we are fighting artificial intelligence that is not subjective and neutral, but has bias and has so much more information about each and every one of us that it is an an extremely unfair fight. But as you know, my pachos chachos, as conservatives know, it is a fight worth fighting. It is the only fight worth fighting. It determines our existence. It will determine whether or not our faith remains. It will determine whether or not we still have faith and hope in each other, fraternity and sorority amongst each other. So hopefully, if you watch the film, you'll be a little bit more inspired like I am to to get off of those social media devices. Again, it's not the cell phone. It's what we do on the cell phone that becomes dangerous. Make sure that you, my beautiful Pacho Chacho, are not spending more time staring at a device than you are living your life. That is the one thing I want you to take away from this podcast and this episode, is that you have to live. All right, I understand the cell phone is a beautiful pacifier when we are lonely and when we are sad, but trust me, nothing should or could ever replace real life. Go out there and make human connections. Go out there and live your life a free person. As always, I'll talk to you next week. God bless. Thank you.